Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Um, I, I do, uh, I, I'm grateful for Derek's commitment to expository preaching. Expository preaching, I believe, is foundational to the health of a church. Um, I believe it gives the, the whole counsel to the church of, of God's word. Um, I, I'm grateful that I can continue on in this sermon series to pick up here in Romans chapter 12. Um, I'm not always able to accommodate such a task, um, uh, but when I can, I love Love to do that because what it does for you as a church is it helps you to understand that the reason that you're here today is not because of the man who stands behind the pulpit, but because of the word that's being preached. And the word is what is vital and the ver- word is what grows us as Christians and the word is what points us towards Christ. And so when we can take and when a pastor and then a guest preacher can pick up right where the pastor left off, then you see the value of God's word. And that's what I want to do for you today. I want to pick up here in, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And we're going to read all the way through verse 21. So I'm going to take all of the easy stuff for Derek. I'm not leaving any of the low-hanging fruit for him. I was so excited to see that he left me such low-hanging fruit in a passage. And so I'm going to take all of it. And I'm going to, I'm going to go for the rest of the chapter. So I'm going to stick him uh, with chapter 13 uh, when he returns uh, to come back. And, and, uh, or whoever's preaching next week, if they pick up chapter 13, I'm going to let them talk about submission to authority. Um, you know, and so, but we're I'm going to go chapter nine, or verse 9 through verse 21. I'm going to read from the ESV for you this morning. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be consistent, uh, constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil. <clears throat> Repay no one, no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it, leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. Would you bow your heads and pray? Father God, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together to worship under the word. Father, this is our time of worship here. Lord, we do not worship only with music and song, but Father, through the teaching and preaching of your word. So this morning, Lord, I pray that you use me to speak your word and your word only. And may you be glorified. It's in Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. 
As, we, as you've studied and come through this text and you've, you've just got through these spiritual gifts as that, 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 the, that God has provided for you, we get to this, this portion of Scripture here in, in verses 9 through 21 uh, that we kind of get the do's and don'ts of Christian living, right? How, how are we to live as Christians? And, and if you go back and if you look at the very, the very beginning of the chapter, verses 1 through 8, you kind of see the, the big idea there that's in those passages is really to, to give your body and your mind over to Christ, right? They, they talk about so, uh, uh, giving you, right? I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, right? And then and he, he continues on, and Paul encourages to, to, to use those gifts that God has given you gifts to, to, to work within the church. And really here, when we get to this passage, the, the big idea I want you to understand through, this, through these, uh, these 12 or, or 13 verses that we have here in Romans chapter, in verse 9, is that if you are to, if, the, if verses 1 through 8 tell us to give your body and your mind to Christ, then what verses 9 through 21 do for us is they, they tell us to give Give your body and love and service to the church that you are to use the gifts that God has given you for the edification of the church, right? That is the body of Christ. So if God's given you gifts, if God's given you something uh, to, to use, then you're to use that for the edification of the church, a few months ago, Pastor Derek and I were able to attend, uh, uh, were fortunate enough to be a part of a training session put on by our network. And, and during our training session, uh, our speaker was Mark Ganey. And he, and he asked us, how do you find people to disciple in your church? And he said, as often, you know, as Christians, we're, part to, we're, we're supposed to be engaged in community that, that's a discipling community. We're, we're constantly supposed to be pouring our lives into somebody else. Somebody should be pouring their lives into us. And, and he said, you know, so often the question comes to him as he's going through talking about discipleship within the church. He said, he said the question that often comes is, brother, how do I find somebody to disciple and he stopped there in his, in his, in his speech there and he, he gave a big grin and, and, he, and he, looked, he looked across the room and, and uh, he said, I'm going to tell you how you find it. He said, you look for fat people. Now, I'll be honest, there was a lot of chuckles that went across the room, right? I mean, because at this point, he's, he's in a room full of Baptist preachers, Baptist deacons, Baptist lay ministers, Sunday school directors, Sunday school teachers. I mean, we had just got done eating a great big meal. I mean, it was pretty easy for him, you know, to, to look. I mean, we're Baptist. It wasn't really hard for him to, to look across the room and, and find some people who were physically not as fit as some others, right? I mean, we're Baptist in nature. But he said, let me give you a cat caveat, right? You, you, you heard the wrong term. He said, when I say you look for fat people, I'm not talking about their physical appearance. I'm talking about their spiritual appearance, which is that they're faithful, they're available, and they're teachable. 
Right? This is, when you're looking for somebody to disciple, these are the people that you look for. And, 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 and so it's one of those statements that has stuck with me, and I'm sure it's going to stick with me for the rest of my life. How do you look for somebody to disciple? Well, you, you look for somebody who's faithful, they're available, and they're, they're teachable. And, and as the weeks went on, I, I began to thinking, well, if, if this is what we're to be looking for, what often do we see is the opposite of that? And the, the opposite of fat, listen, if we're going to stick with that theme here, is obviously lean. I'm a cross-country coach in my spare time, not that I have any spare time. And, and one of the things we talk about is trying to learn how to run lean, how to run healthy, how to run and, and, and be slim. But, but, but I, I, and so I thought, well, if, if, if the opposite of fat is lean, then what is lean? Well, lean, in my terms, is this. Lean is somebody who is lazy. They're excuse-filled. They're arrogant, and they're numb to sin. And so as we come to this, and I want you to keep those two acronyms in your mind, and I want you to think about these as we go through this passage this morning, because I, I want to apply them in regards to this, this, this scripture that we have. I want to apply them and look at them in terms of fat versus lean, right? Fat Christians versus lean Christians. Christians who are faithful, available, teachable versus Christians who are lazy, excuse-filled, arrogant, and numb to sin. Because what Paul has given us here in this list is really this, this, this understanding, right, about these do's and don'ts. Like, as Christians, you're to do this, and you're to do that, and you should not do this, and you should not do that. And so, so I want to look through these, through these verses together this morning, and we're going we're gonna to see how we're going to live our life for the edification of the church, right? Taking these gifts that God has given us to be able to serve the church, and how can we build the church and grow the church together? So first, let's look at... Right? Let's, let's look at verse 9. He says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. The, the CSB reads uh, this way, the Christian Standard Bible. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest what is evil, cling to what is good. A, a faithful Christian loves without hypocrisy. Right? They detest what is evil. They cling to what is good. They are faithful in God's word. Right? They, they are faithful in obeying its commands. They are faithful in staying away from what is sinful. They are faithful in what it is, in what it is to hold on to what is good and right and holy. You know, I've often heard, and, and, and I have some friends, some personal friends, that they're, they're not Christians, and, and I invite them to church regularly, and, and the number one complaint they often look at me and they say is, say, well, I don't want to go to church because of all the hypocrites. I tell them most often, I said, well, what you don't understand is that most of the people in the church understand that they're hypocrites and they're just trying not to become one. But, but here we see that... that that they don't want to go to church, but as Christians, we are to love without hypocrisy. Right? We're, we're to be faithful to God's word. And, and, and so often, the reason that people see us as hypocrites is because what we wind up doing is we wind up deciding and we look at the Bible and we read the Bible and we study the Bible and we see what the Bible calls us to do. And they, it sees what we're commanded to be, how we're to love, how we're to, 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 to cling to what is good, to detest what is evil. And yet, so often, we do just the opposite. We find a portion of scripture that kind of hits home, 
Something that we like to do that the Bible says we probably shouldn't do. Or says absolutely that we shouldn't do. And then we say, well, you know what? That we just don't want to believe that anymore. You know, I understand that the Bible says I shouldn't do that. But you know, I mean, I'm just human and I'm just going to go on to it. Right? That's, that's hypocrisy. See, on one hand, we say we believe the Bible. We believe it's God's word. We believe it's inerrant. We believe it's inspired. We believe it's infallible. And we believe it should be the rule of our life. But then all of a sudden, we become just like our, our, our mother and our father, right? Adam and Eve. And we say, you know what, God? I think I know what's better than you. Right? I, I, I think that, that, that we're, we're just, we're looking and saying, God, your word is not good enough for me. And I, I'm going to now decide for myself what is good and what I can do and what I cannot do. And I'll, I'll obey the parts that I like, but I don't obey. But I'm not going to obey these other parts because, well, I, who am I hurting anyways? Right? If we say that we trust God and we believe God, then we should follow what God has to say and really not what we want to do. That's what a faithful Christian does. An arrogant Christian says, I know better than you know. If we look at verse 11, verse 11 tells us not to be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and to serve the Lord. A, a faithful Christian is, is faithful in serving the Lord. They're not lazy. Right? That's the, that, that's, that's the L there in the lean. They're not lazy. They, there are numerous ways as Christians we are able to serve the Lord. Right? There, there are prayer groups that we can be a part of. There, are, there is uh, opportunities to teach. There are opportunities to preach. There is evangelizing opportunities. We see the gospel to every home. We see the who's your one. There, there, are, there are ways that we can give in our tithes and our offerings. There's showing up to service. Right? There's, there's running the soundboard in the back to make sure. Like all the technology that goes into to, today's service. It's not like the 1800s where you just got to a room that was beautifully built and it was built for sound and, and, and built to, you know, reverberate all the things. And, and, you know, you would just get up and you didn't need a microphone. But today, the way that we're constructed, we need those things. And so we have opportunities to serve our churches. Right? There's opportunities to serve in websites and podcasts and Facebook and Instagram, running a copy machine, changing light bulbs. There, there are spiritual jobs that you can do. There are physical jobs. And a faithful Christian shows up. They're not slothful slothful, right? They're not lazy. They say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go and I'm going to use the gifts that God has given me. And I'm going to serve the church in that way. There are, there are Christians who know finances. There are Christians who know legal terms. There are Christians who know insurance. There are Christians who know all kinds of different things about how businesses run and how churches run and how, how things happen in the world. And they can take those talents that they're being trained for by their own corporations and use them for the edification of the church. And they're not lazy about it. They do it with joy. They do it because they want to see the church grow. They do it because they see that as a gift from God that they can take. And they can bless the church with the things that he has given them. I was visiting a church the other day. And I overheard a conversation between two members. Part of my job 
now with a network is, is I do have a home church and that, that I will, that I am a part of. My family's there this morning. They're plugged in there. And, and yet I still get to go out and I get to serve in other churches within our network and I get to preach. And I, sometimes I just go and hang out and just go to service. And, and I was at a service the other day and, and I was visiting and I, I overheard a conversation between two of the members and, and one had just finished serving down in the children's ministry. And, and the other person that they were talking to, they said, oh, where have you been? Well, I've been down. I've been serving in the children's room and I had, you know, X number of kids and, and you know, it seemed to be a crazy time and a little bit, uh, you know, stressful potentially. You know, anytime you serve in children's ministry with, if you got 10 or 15, uh, you know, whether they're five-year-olds or 12-year-olds, it, it's a crazy time. And, and so this other person turns and they, they look at them and they say, oh, I could never serve in children's ministry. You, you know, that I just couldn't, I could never go down there and, and, and do, and do, be a part of that. And they, they told them all the reasons why they couldn't serve in this kid's room. Now, I'll just be honest, every excuse that this person gave, there wasn't an allergy Right? There wasn't a physical limitation, right? There wasn't a clear definitive reason that kept this person from being able to go and serve in the children's ministry other than their desire. Right? Really the only allergy they had was to children. <laughs> and yet... It was obviously that more people were needed to help serve in the children's area. And this person was really the second part of that lean acronym. They were just excuse filled. I can't serve. Do you know? I mean, they sounded a lot like, like Moses, right? To God, God, I can't go and free the people from Egypt. Do you? I, don't, I stutter. I'm not a good leader. I killed somebody. I can't do all, so it was all these, God was calling them to come serve. God was calling Moses to come serve. And Moses kept saying excuse after excuse after excuse. And so often we do the same things. God is calling you to serve in your church. He's given you a talent and an ability to do something. And when it stands in front of you, all of a sudden you become excuse filled. God, I can't do that. God, I can't be a part of that. I, I, I'm no good at it. I don't know the, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. Um, and, and in reality, I have learned in my life that there is nothing that I can't learn if I want to learn it. I was 17 years old. I was called into ministry. And at 17 years old, I had a lot of baggage and I had a lot of issues in my life. And I just, God, you're not calling me. No, not going to do it. I'm not even going to college and I wasn't. I was about to graduate high school. I assumed myself that I was going to be, um, that I was just going to be a blue collar worker. I was going to work in a factory with my two older brothers. And I was just going to do whatever it was. And I was just going to go sweat the rest of my life and work till I was 65, retire and do whatever. Because I was too dumb. School was hard. I couldn't do, I couldn't do it. I, I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to do all these things. And so from, from 17 to 27, I just rebelled against God's will in my life. I acted more like Jonah, right? I just ran, ran, run. And, and then all of a sudden, here now I, at 27, I, I submit to God's call on my life. 27 years old, never, never outside of high school. Hadn't been back to any education at that point. And for the next 12 years, I spent working and getting my associate's degree, my bachelor's degree, and then my master's degree. 
Why? Was I any smarter at 27 than I was at 17? Maybe, but probably not. What changed was my desire. See, I was able to do the things that I wanted to do. And so when I finally submitted to God's will, he gave me the talents and the abilities and the skills, and he provided the training to be able to accomplish the things that he wanted me to accomplish within his church. And so I was no longer excuse-filled, right? I became faithful to study I became available to go to school and I was teachable and I received from my teachers the things that I needed to learn. Verse 12 says that we're to rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. Right? A, a fat Christian, a, 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 a Christian, a fat Christian is faithful in prayer. I want to ask you this morning, let me, what, what it, when things are going bad, when things aren't going the way that you want them to go in your life, are you faithful and are you patient in prayer? If you would, I want to push it a little bit further this morning. Do you, do you pray only when things are bad? Or do you pray when things are good? Do you pray without ceasing? What motivates you to pray? You see, a, 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 a fat Christian, a, a faithful Christian prays when times are good and when times are bad. But a lean Christian, a, a, a lean person is just arrogant enough to think that prayer is only necessary when things are going bad and not when things are going well. Right, they, they, say, they may look and say, well, you know, I know, Pastor, that, that, that God knows all things and that God's in control of all things, but really their actions say that they believe otherwise. Their actions say that, that you know, I'm only going to pray when things go bad because God must have forgotten me somehow. I, I now need to get his attention. And so I got I to gotta pray more and I got to pray with more fervor and I got to do some dance and I got to shake some hands or I got to lay on the ground. I got to do something so that I can somehow get his attention or to get back in his good graces. And it's absolutely not true, right? God's not forgotten them. God's not forgotten you. He's, God's not ignorant of your trials. God is not ignorant of your cancer diagnosis. He's not ignorant of your heart attack or of a stroke or your high cholesterol or your aching back or your weak knees. God knows every single thing that's going on in your life. He knows when you rise up and when you sit down. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hands upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. If you skip on down to verse 13 there, Psalm 139, he says, You formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when yet there was none of them. Right? We understand, a faithful person understands that God is in control and God knows all things are going in our life. And he is never surprised by something that happens to us. And yet an, a lean person is just arrogant enough to think that God is somehow caught by surprise. That they might know something that God doesn't know. A faithful person continues to bless those who persecutes them and does not curse them. Why do they bless, you might ask? Why would, a, why would a faithful person begin to bless someone, right, who persecutes them? Well, it's for the same reason I just laid out for you, because they know God's in control. They, they know God is, has his hand upon the situation. They are like Joseph when his brother sold him into slavery and said, though you meant it for evil, God used it for good. God took what you were going to do bad to me and used it for his glory. And so if we can look at somebody and say, if you're going to do this for me, then God's going to glorify himself through it. And so we're not to repay evil for evil. But we're to do what is honorable in the sight of all. We're to look around so that when everyone looks, right? So that on the day of judgment, when they come, everybody can look and they can say, that is a Christian. That is somebody who believes in God. That is somebody who believes in an all-powerful God, a God who's in control of all things. And they live their life like it because they don't live like everyone else. And they leave the vengeance to the Lord. Christians who use their gifts that God has given them for the edification of the church are also available. Right? We've seen them be faithful, but now they're also available. I want you to look at verses 13 and 15. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And then in verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Christians who use their gifts that God has given them for the edification of the church are available. Available Christians are there both physically and they're both there spiritually for their brothers and sisters. Paul says that, that says here that we're to be available to the church to contribute to their needs and to seek to show hospitality. We're to rejoice with those who with uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Right, and yet and yet so often we are having a problem in our churches of being of availability. Both physically and emotionally. Right? How, can we, how can we seek to show hospitality and rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep if we're not physically here? If we're not available to those who are part of our family. I, I, I got to thinking, I'm going to show my age just a little bit. Um, Man, as a young kid, I, I, I grew up uh, in a church and, and uh, 
there was a song that was taught to us kids. I think it was taught to us kids. I can remember it from my earliest days. And, and it's a song by the Kingsmen. Anybody know who the Kingsmen are? Yeah, the Kingsmen. There's a, there, there's a group, and it's an old gospel group. And they used to sing this song called Excuses. Anybody remember to hear that song? You know, I, I, man, I, I still sing it to my kids today, right? Excuses, excuses, you'll hear them every day. Now the devil, he'll supply them if the church will stay away. When people come to know the Lord, the devil always loses. So to keep them folks away from church, he offers them excuses. Right? And then the guy goes on and he, the, 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 the leader of the, song, of the group there goes on. And he begins to talk about how the, the church pews are too hard and the choir sings way too loud today. It's not the choir. It's the, it's the guitar or the PA or whatever it is. You know, or that in the summertime it's too hot. In the wintertime it's too cold. And, and, and there's all kinds of issues that are going on. And, and, and in one sense, I think he knew COVID was coming because what, what he says there, I mean, this song's got to be 40 years old. He says... And the doctor, he'll tell you to stay away because them crowds will get you down, right? But then he tells him, well, then you go to the ball game because, you know, it helps you relax. <laughs> excuses, excuses. It's all that we're, right, that, that we see, right? And, and, and now we, we have people who don't even want to come to church and they're just filled with excuses of all the things that they've got going on. I've, I've got to go here and I've got to go there and I work six days a week and, and, and I've got this activity and I've got that activity and my kids are in this sport and in all that sport and, 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 and you know, COVID, Pastor, if you show up, there's COVID out there. Do you not know? And I'll just tell you, Pastor, I just love the fact that we have an online service. Let me, just, let me just say this about online service. Those of you watching at home, I'm talking to y'all right now. And, and, and I get to say this, and Brother Derek doesn't because I won't be here next week. Um, but let me just tell you something about online. Online is a good gift to the church. But it's never meant to be a substitute for being in this place. Right? It's never meant to be the substitute. You are not available. You can't seek to show hospitality. You can't weep. You can't rejoice with your brothers and sisters in Christ when you're sitting at home on the couch. You can't do that. It's not, you're, you're not available. And yet what we have seen within our own communities and within many churches is that we have church members who have romanticized the idea of that I can go to church and I can sit on my couch in my pajamas and drink my coffee and eat my biscotti and do whatever what I want to do and, yet, and, and think that they're a part of the church. And you're not part of the church. And you're definitely not exercising the gifts that God has given you to be a part of the church, for the edification of the church. To be a part of the church is to be here to gather together, whether it's in this building or another building. When the church gathers is when the people come together, and that is gathering with the church. If you're sick and, you, and, and, and you've got illness, stay home, right? We get it. That's where online comes together. That's the purpose of online. It's to help. It's the new homebound ministry for those who are going out. And let me say this. The, the, here's, here's the bad part about, here's the thing I like about the old-fashioned homebound ministry. Man, I remember being, I was, I was 12 years old. I loved being in the sound booth back there in the back. And they'd get done, and I'd get the, the tape out of the tape recorder, 
right? And I would take that thing over to the, the duplicator machine and I'd put it in there and I would wind up and we'd make like six or eight copies and we would disperse. So I'd hand them to the deacons and the deacons would take them out to those who were homebound. And that's a great, and let me tell you what's the great idea about that. Because at that point, the person who was homebound was having a physical connection with the person who was going. But today, so often, the, the, the issue with, with online is, is that the person who's going never has a physical connection to somebody in the church. Whether they're homebound or whether they're just, to be honest, lazy and excuse-filled. Too lazy to get up in the morning, too lazy to get in the shower, too lazy to put on clothes, too, too lazy to drive down the thing, or too excuse-filled about all the things that are going on. And so now what I'm telling you is here we see that God has commanded through his word, through verse 12, or verse 13, to contribute to the needs of the saints, to seek to show hospitality. Right? How can we seek to show hospitality? How can we rejoice if we're at home? How do we fulfill what Paul says in Philippians 2, 4? He says, he says so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one, of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you not only look to his own interest, but to the interest in others. Right? If we, in, in reality, staying at home is the reverse of verse 3 there in Philippians. Right? Verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. By staying at home and saying, I'm just going to worship from home so that I can drink my coffee and eat my, my bagel, it really winds up just saying, you know what? I am a, I'm doing this for my own selfish ambition. The people at church aren't worthy of my time. And so I'm just going to stay here. And I'm not going to look out for their best interest. I could probably go and pray with them, but... I think I'll just stay at the house today. Staying at home just so we can stay in our pajamas and drink our coffee does not use the gifts that God gave you for the edification of the church, but it is a selfish act of disobedience because you consider your own pleasure more significant than serving and rejoicing and weeping with your brothers and sisters who have sacrificed their time to gather together as the scriptures have commanded. Christians who use their gifts that God has given them for the edification of the church are also teachable. They're teachable. Look at verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. In other words, what Paul's teaching here is don't be arrogant. Be humble. Have a teachable spirit. Continue to learn. Never think you figured it all out. You know, I've been, a, I've been a Christian for just over 38 years. 
I'm 44. I was saved at the, 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 the ripe old age of, of about five and what, five and uh, 11 months. And, and I, I was saved just a few weeks before my sixth birthday. And, and I have been in church ministry for the last 20 years. I, I started teaching uh, in youth. Then I started teaching college. Then I led music. And then I've pastored a church. And, 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 I, and I'll just want to be honest. I have met some of the most kind, loving, giving, salt of the earth, arrogant Christians. People who think that they know all there is to know about the Bible and about God and about Jesus. I have had deacons tell me that they don't need to read the Bible anymore because they've read it once. Not twice, they've read it once. And, and I've had people look at me and say that they don't need discipleship because, you know, I've kind of figured all that stuff out as to what I'm supposed to do. I, I once had a, 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 had a man tell me that he didn't want to worship with people from a different ethnicity. Right? Because in his words, their kind need to have their own worship service. And I asked him, I said, brother, I said, then, then what are you going to do with Revelation? Right? What do you do with Revelation chapter 5 when it says that they were gathered around the throne, every tongue and every tribe and nation, and they were crying together with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. What are you going to do when you go to the worship services of all worship services with every tribe and tongue and nation? And he said, you know, well, I guess I'm just hoping they're going to have their own section." I said, sir, the only segregation that they're going to have in heaven is from the sheep from the goats. And I don't think you want to be segregated out of that. The sheep will spend eternity with their shepherd and the goats will spend eternity in a place called hell. There is no segregation. There's only one worship service. problem is, is he was numb to sin. That's that last part of that lean acronym, numb. He was numb to his own sin. He was numb to the sin of the world. He was numb to everything that was going on. And, 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 and he needed, just to be honest, he needed Jesus. Church, if we think we have learned everything that we can learn about our God and that we don't need discipleship, and that we don't need to study and learn from others. Others who are older than you. Others who are younger than you. Others who are the same age as you. Let me tell you this. Then, then if you think you know everything there is to get about God. And everything, that, there, everything that, that you can know in this lifetime. Then your God is too small. He's just too small. You, you don't have a proper view of who God is. But my God, 
The maker of heaven and earth, the one who spoke the world into creation is so big that as the old hymn says, right, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, right? That when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining out of the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. In 10,000 years, you won't have even scratched the surface, the, the surface of what you can know about God. And you'll still be so amazed by him that you'll still be learning for all eternity. And so if you don't like spending the short amount of time, the whisper of a life that's in here, right? This, this wisp of a life that you have on this earth, learning everything you can about God, then eternity's going to be, well, eternity for you. Because that's what you're going to do for eternity. You're going to learn and you're going to be so amazed by your God that in, in an infinite amount of time, you still won't understand his goodness and his greatness and his love and his mercy. And his grace. Church, you need to understand who your God is. And when you have a proper understanding of God, you will continue to learn everything and anything you can about him. And you will be humble enough that when somebody says, do you know this? You won't look at them and say, no. You'll sit and you'll listen and you'll learn. I learn stuff from my children. I learn stuff from my grandparents. I learn stuff from people like me. I've been, I've been to high school. I've been to college. I've been to seminary. And I still haven't grasped everything there is to learn about my God. And I still learn every single day. I'm still involved in a discipleship group that helps me learn and grow and challenges me and, and helps me look at scripture. I'm still part of a pastor's group that, that we come together and we talk about who God is and how we lead our congregations and how we raise them up and how we can better glorify Christ because of who he is. And we can still learn. Church, you're to be teachable. Not arrogant enough to say, I know it all. One final story and then we'll get ready to close the I told you I've had deacons tell me that they've read the Bible enough and other people tell me they know enough that they don't need discipleship. I remember there was a, a lady that was in her 70s. She had another lady who was leading a discipleship group and she came to her and said, hey, I'd like for you to be a part of this discipleship group. And the lady said, well, you know, I've, I've been discipled. I, I know everything. I think I'm pretty good. She obviously wasn't fat. She wasn't faithful. She wasn't available. She definitely didn't have a teachable spirit. I don't care if you're 7 years old or if you're 70 years old or if you're 97 years old. You can continue to learn and be discipled. Church, as we close this this morning, I want to ask you this question. I, I do want to ask, are you fat or are you lean? Are you using the gifts that God has given you to edify his body? Is there something that you know that you are supposed to be doing? Something that you have been disobedient and not following God's will for your life? Maybe, maybe it's disobedience and that, you're, you're, that you should be here or you should be serving. Or maybe it's just disobedience and that God has called you to submit and surrender your life to him.
to follow him all the days of your life. Maybe you've never had a personal relationship and you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been disobedient. You've never followed through with believers' baptism. Maybe you need to become part of this local body of believers. If there's anything or any of these that, that, that God has spoken to you today, why don't you come as we close? Taylor's going to play as a, a verse. I'll be here. I'll be standing in the front row if you need somebody to pray with you. I'd be more than happy to. I'm sure there's other leaders here that would be more than gracious to, to pray with you. We would love for you to, to be a part of this local body of believers. If you're serving at home, come next week. You're probably mad at me. You've, you may not be watching by this point. <laughs> Maybe you turned, turned it off. I'm not going to listen to that guy. But if you're still watching, why don't you come be a part? Why don't you come? Love the people here. Let the people here love you. Serve together. Glorify God. Exemplify Christ to this community. Let them see what it means to be a Christian. How we love together. We rejoice together. We weep together. We are hospitable. We bring people into our homes. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loved us first. And since he loved us, we're going to love others. And we're going to point them to Christ. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we just glorify you this morning. Lord, we recognize that you are a good and great God. A God who is magnificent, in incomprehensible. Lord, and even though you're incomprehensible, that doesn't mean I don't want to learn more. Lord, I just want, I may not be able to learn everything, but I can learn many things about you. And Lord, you have revealed yourself to us through your word. You have shown us how you loved us. Lord, your scripture says that you love the world so much that you sent your son to die on a cross so that we could have forgiveness of sins. God, you are, we know you not as an angry God sitting in heaven looking at who he can punish or who he can destroy, but a God who loves, who loves enough that he would give up the most precious gift in the world, his son, Jesus Christ, who is obedient to death on a cross. So that we could have forgiveness of sins. Lord, you accepted that. We see that through the proof of his resurrection and the promise that if we place our faith and trust in him, that we too will be resurrected just as he was. And that we'll spend all eternity for you. Lord, we'll stand around the throne. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. At Grace Way, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. 
Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.